Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 28. If you don't have a Bible, um, there should be one in the seat back in front of you or around there. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Hold up your Bibles if you have a Bible. We're going to publicly shame those people who don't. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> want to encourage you to bring your Bible, amen, and write in it, underline it, star it, uh, or put post-it notes if you're not a person who writes in your Bible, like some people that I won't name, that are named Christine. Um, <laughs> But if, if you just make it yours, you know, this is, this is our sword. So let's, uh, let's pray. God, we ask that as we open your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that our lives would be changed. I want to thank you so much for this group of brothers and sisters who love you, who love your name, who love your word, who serve you with their whole hearts, who give of their time and their resources towards your kingdom who have forsaken the ways of the world and who are sold out for you. And so, Lord, we just want to continue to grow in that this morning. And Lord, as we look at your servant, Paul, and how you worked in and through his lives, will you show us, um, as we see his example, Lord, uh, the things that you're doing in our lives, Lord, the storm, how you are going to work through the storms of our lives, and just for us to trust in you, to truly trust in you. And so, God, um, anything that's not of you this morning that I might say, take away, don't even let them hear it, Lord. And I ask that you would, what is of you would just resonate in the the hearts of your people. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And so, um, Acts chapter 27. Last week we studied, Acts chapter 28, excuse me. Last week we started Acts uh, 27. And Paul The apostles being held prisoner of Rome since being falsely accused by the Jews in in chapter 23. So we're in chapter 28, which is the last chapter of the book of Acts. Yay! Um, We started in May 2014, and and, and here we are. Um, What I sought to do as we started out in the book of Acts, and it didn't necessarily go like this totally, but um, is, is I used the book of Acts kind of as like um, the trunk of a tree in that it tells the narrative of how the gospel got spread out from Jerusalem to all these different places. And what you see is, is that narrative of the first half of Acts of Peter being used and the second half of Acts of Paul being used. And as Paul is on his missionary journeys, three different missionary journeys that we know of to all these different places within the world, um, he often would, would write letters to these churches later on to try to encourage them in their faith. Because how many of you know that as soon as you come to Jesus, a lot of issues come up? And you aren't all of a sudden just refined and finished. Anyone? Totally. I mean, you need to know how to walk and how to live. And, and, and then all of a sudden you have problems with your brothers and sisters. Well, what do I do now? God, what does God teach about these things? And so people were suing each other. People were still eating meat sacrificed to idols. There were things that we had to grow in love towards one another. And so you'd break off and, and, uh, and he would write these letters. And so uh, when we came to a city that he went to, we would stop, we would break off, and we would study that book. And those were the epistles, what they call the letters to the churches. We got through a lot of them. We didn't get through all of them. But we're getting Paul to Rome today is what's happening. And then we're going to go back and kind of fill in the rest of that tree with some of the other books like 2 Corinthians and Colossians, and we'll eventually get to Romans, and, and, that'll, be, and that'll be fun. I do want to get back to the Gospels too. So chapters 27 through, uh, sorry, 23 through 27 is a shift in the story. 
Paul's no longer on missionary journeys. He's a prisoner of Rome after being falsely convicted by the Jews in Jerusalem. After being rushed to Caesarea, 40 miles away on the coast in the middle of the night to avoid assassination by the Jews, Paul spends two years in prison waiting trial in that coastal city. Because the governor was playing politics with Paul's life, basically he, he was just sitting around. And uh, eventually what had to happen is Paul just said, you know, I'm tired of this. I'm appealing to Rome. And so there's an appeal system in the Romans court. And so now he's allowed to go in front of the emperor to have his case heard. You've got these Jews who are saying he did a bunch of stuff when in reality he wasn't. He was innocent of it. And now he's appealing all the way up to Rome. And so... In chapter 27, Paul begins that journey towards Rome by way of a ship. And we, what we should, uh, uh, what should be just basically a couple weeks journey ends up being several months. You ever had that in your life where you decided, hey, this is where we're going, and then all of a sudden it took a lot longer to get there and a whole bunch of unexpected turns? That's what happens. They ended up getting caught in a 14-day hurricane. How many of you have ever been on a ship in a 14-day hurricane? No, thank you. I get sick just looking at water. It's just not good. But God graciously spares the life of everyone on board by having them shipwrecked on the island of Malta or Melita. Hey, Melita. That's where she got her name, right? And last week... We made the point that Jesus told Paul before his journey to Rome ever began two years prior, right? While he was in Jerusalem, having just been arrested by the Romans in the middle of people trying to assassinate him, Jesus stood by Paul in that prison and said in chapter 23, verse 11, take courage As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Paul, you are going to Rome. That's what he said two years prior. Paul, you're going to Rome. When Jesus says we're going to Rome, what's happening? We're going to Rome. Right? But how Paul got to Rome and how long it took was not guided by Paul. It wasn't up to Paul. He didn't have all the answers and and wasn't calculating and maneuvering and all this type of stuff. It just seemed like at this point, God, the circumstances drove Paul. And he was simply dependent on the providence of God. Yes, he appealed to Caesar, but in general, we just see God's hand upon Paul moving him and guiding him in the midst of difficulties when he had no control over the situation. And Paul had it in his heart to go to Rome earlier on, uh, but he first had to go to Jerusalem, as we read in Romans, you can read in Romans 15. But he was arrested and was a prisoner of Rome, and so Jesus came to him and told him, uh, when all the circumstances looked totally bleak in his life, when when everything was coming down upon him, he thought he was going to go on his missionary journey to Rome, and he ended up getting arrested, and his life and his freedom was taken away from him. Jesus stood by and said, hey, you're still going. You're still going to Rome. God was at work. And God used imprisonment. He used persecution and ineffective leaders and the appeals process to get him there. 
Paul would have much preferred an airplane ticket. Anyone? I just want, like, he's just like, first class, let's go. Get me to Rome. But that's not what happened. God wanted to do more than get Paul to Rome in luxury. You know that? Paul didn't, it, the purpose of God's plan wasn't just to make Paul comfortable, to make him happy and without trial, and just to get him to Rome. No, it was through suffering, it was through hardship that God would guide Paul to be used for his glory. And we also spoke last week about how often God places us in boats that get overtaken by storms that have no control that we have no control over and we lose our bearings and lose all ability to navigate. And it's at that point when we are so prone to focus on the difficulties and the waves and the seasickness of, of life that we forget that Jesus said you're going to Rome. Anyone? I mean, you guys are going through difficulties in life right now and storms and just the reality of those things. You're in the boat. The waves are coming over. There's no stars. There's no way. You have no idea what's going on. You can't control the circumstances and you're just being tossed by the waves and, and those things are just pushing on your lives. Anybody feel like that sometimes? We can often get our eyes off the, the fact that Jesus said, you're going to Rome. And Jesus said, I will save you, that you will be with me in eternity. And we start to go, and God, have you forsaken me? God, have you, have you forgotten about the plan in my life? And we get so self-focused in those. And that's just me just having a recent, you know, cancer situation. It's, it's, you, just, you just look at yourself. That's what's going on. And it's hard to look outside. You know, we often wonder why God puts us in this boat that seems to be a never-ending storm. And sometimes we're so focused on us and ourselves that we forget that there are other people in the boat. There are other people in the boat. Those who are truly lost at sea. Those who have not been given the promise that they are going to reach the destination of Rome. And let me tell you, the boat is going down. Eventually, the boat goes down. And we find that God has allowed us to be in those storms just like those around us so that they can see the sure hope that lies within us. And so that they can see the sure anchor of hope that we have, even in our, if our ship is going down. And although the boat of our health or our finances or our country gets shipwrecked, we have the promise of Jesus, the promise of the third day. That although this ship goes down to the bottom of the ocean, He will raise it up again. Amen? That's our sure hope. And so as the storms weigh on the lost and they weigh on us, all that we depend upon is seen for what it is. It's hollow. It's hollow. Who cares about the car? Who cares about the job? Who cares about all these things? It just whittles down to the essentials of, of, of fear in our lives and the impending reality of the other side of death. And God desires that through trials we would be awakened to the reality that we're stepping into eternity. 
And when you see people in suffering, that's when God reaches into their life quite often because they start ditching on these things that they once hoped in for the hope of something else, something greater. These things aren't working anymore. And they're looking for someone else in the boat who has hope, who's going through exactly what they're going through, who's sitting in the chair and getting chemo with them, who is suffering with them, who's sharing, I have hope. That's you. That's me. Let's see, if, if we're just self-focused all the time, we're not going to see the opportunities that God has laid out in front of us to actually use our suffering for His glory. And so we see Paul began giving that hope of salvation at the darkest time on that boat. And they finally listened and were saved, although they were shipwrecked on the island of Malta, right? God has reasons for the storms in your lives, brothers and sisters. He has reasons for them. For some of us, he's just trying to get your attention. Amen? Anybody ever been under the discipline of the Lord? Yeah, quite often he's like, okay, storm time. I want your eyes back on me. You know, stop trusting in all that other stuff. Get your priorities back on the kingdom. I didn't save you to go uh, spend your life wasting it away. I want you back on me. Focused. I've got things for you to do and to be that I've created you for. You know, and for others, the storms in your life are not disciplinary, but they're actually exactly what God has charted out for you. Exactly what God has charted out for you. To bring his plan about for his glory. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament. Think of his brothers. His brothers hated him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. He was in slavery for 13 years. God, where are you? But what we find out is that at the end of that 13 years, God took that kid who was 17 and prideful and made him humble. He was preparing him that whole time. At the end of that 17 years, when he was 30 years old, he went from the prison to the palace and one day became second in command of all of Egypt because he had the ability to interpret dreams and he gave God the glory for it finally. And God used him to save that nation from absolute destruction because of a famine that was coming, a seven-year famine. And then his brothers come on the scene because they're coming to have, um, they're hungry from the outside land, from Canaan. And they come to him and he doesn't recognize them. There's this back and forth that happens and finally reveals himself to them. They're scared and he says, don't be afraid because what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you intended for evil, God intended for good. And so, Fred, as elders, it's just been like with the water system. You know, we start to get so looking at, darn it, our water isn't working. Why can't we just fix the dumb water? Right? Anyone? And Fred's beating his head against the wall every week, going to meetings and faithfully doing that stuff. And we're just going, Lord, Lord, please, please. And you got all this politics and all this system. Well, what's happening behind the the scenes is God actually, I believe, wants to do something bigger than fix our water. I think he wants to fix the water of College Place because their wells are out. And we are the linchpin to all that. And let God be glorified. You know? What's he doing? What's the big picture? Open our eyes. And it takes a while for us to get our eyes off the storm and onto other things and other people. And what are you doing, God, with this? 
Amen? Like Joseph. If you're Paul, you have to be in that middle of the storm going, hey, God, I thought you said I was going to Rome, right? What's with all this? I didn't know I was going to go there in a body bag. You know? But Paul was exactly where he needed to be on the island of Malta. And so chapter 28, yeah, we made it. Once safely on shore, we found that the island was called Malta, and the islanders showed us unusual kindness. And they built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. You know, uh, our storms, as, as the Lord guides us it, through those storms, I've found that God has placed people on my path who have shown me unusual kindness. Many of you experienced that? You're suffering, you're lacking, you're hurting, and all of a sudden God pops someone in your life to help you out at the right time. That has been the story of, of my life and Christine's life. God has just been so good to us and so kind to us at times when we really needed help. And for Paul, it was first it was the Julius, the centurion, and now it's these uh, barbarians. Some of you people say that just means natives. And, and, and now the Shipwrecked Islanders, they're building a fire. And this wasn't like a little campfire. It's like, hey, look what they did. Unusual kindness. They built a campfire. No, there's 276 guys. So what kind of fire do you think that was? Yeah, they were, they were doing some amazing things. And this was most likely November. They were weak from being in the storm for 14 days. They hadn't been eating very much. The seasickness. They're wet. They're cold. They're on an island. They have no resources. And God places people there to show them unusual kindness. And really, that's the true definition of hospitality. Hospitality, we often think of setting a table just for people we know and we love. And the biblical definition for hospitality is kindness towards strangers. Kindness towards strangers, having a heart towards people you do not know uh, and do not have relationship, but your heart is open. And the reason we are to be hospitable is because God is hospitable. That is how he is. That is his nature. You know, uh, Jesus really nails this in Luke chapter 6. He says, but you are listening. Uh, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, turn uh, to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. What is that? You give them when they want. If they steal from you, give them more. What is that? Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you have done, uh, as, as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend from them who expect, uh, whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great in heaven, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked." Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Boy, do we need this in our society? Boy, we talk about injustice. How about this kind of injustice? When people are wicked to us, we bless them. Aren't you thankful God's been like that to us? Yeah. You know, when we, when we were out there doing whatever we were doing, or maybe some of you still doing it, you know, how merciful He is. Here we have 
hospitable heathens even. It's amazing, right? The methods that God uses to sustain his people in times of need. They built a bonfire. Verse 3, and then Paul, he gathers a pile of brushwood and he puts it on the fire and a viper driven out by the heat fastens itself to his hand. How would you like to survive a shipwreck only to be bitten by a snake 15 minutes after you land on shore? I mean, just what? God, what are you doing? And quite often following the Lord is like that. It's trial upon trial upon trial, right? But God has a purpose, as we're going to see. Verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the, God, the, goddess, of just, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. And you know, circumstances are a poor indicator of the will of God. Just write that down. Circumstances are a poor indicator of the will of God. Okay? These people saw that Paul had survived when he got bit by a snake. They made the conclusion as to why he must be a murderer and a goddess of justice will not allow him to to live. You know, they couldn't be further from the truth. Church, we need to be careful not to judge too quickly when circumstances in our lives or in the others are unfavorable. Right? Right? They were saying Paul must have done something wrong because something bad has happened to him. And we are in a reap and sow world, believe me not, but that is, you've got to weigh that out. The opposite was true. Verse 5, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they exchanged, uh, sorry, they changed their minds and said he was a god. People are fickle. <laughs> People are fickle, especially if you're in leadership. Just like, do not accept the praise and don't accept the, you know, the bad things as well. I mean, just don't read your own press, basically. But the opposite was true with Paul. You know, and this is, it's our human nature. It's, 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 in our nature, we're carnally based and clueless. We tend to just judge things on, on sight. Instant, you know, rulings. Right? This happened in the opposite order in Acts chapter 14. Remember when Paul was in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas? And they healed some guy. Do you remember that? And he walk, they walk in and they go, oh, it, says, it says, the gods have come down to us in human form, verse 12. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to, to, the gates, to the city gates because he and the crowds wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Right? That was like verse 13. And, and then Paul spends the next few verses saying, no, 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 no. Do not worship us. And he starts explaining. And, this is, and then verse 19, just a few verses later, says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. I mean, just like, you're a god. Oh, boom, you're dead. You know, and they killed him and they dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Just crazy. You know, we can kind of distance ourselves from these, you know, uh, crazy islanders you know, from 2,000 years ago. Because, hey, we're modern, we're Christian, we, we wouldn't do that kind of stuff, you know. You know, but do we come to conclusions quickly based solely on circumstances? Do we do that? 
I do it a lot. Lord, help me. You know, when a church isn't big enough, it's because, man, the pastor must be doing something wrong. Believe me, I am racking my head. I've confessed every sin. I've confessed your sins. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going, you know, I mean, like, Lord, what else is there, you know? And the opposite is true. It's really big and it's rocking, therefore something must be going right. So quick. There might be truth in those things, believe me, okay? We all have blind spots. But so, we're so quick to just jump from one thing to another. Is it possible that God's using the storm and the snake bites to direct Paul to exactly where he wants, wanted him? Verse 7, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island. And he welcomed us into his home, showing us generous hospitality for three days. Look out, three days. And his father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery, very serious. And Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, he placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. And so Paul has an audience with the chief chief official on the island. How does that happen? It doesn't say how, but my guess is that him being kind of looked at as kind of like this God might have allowed him to have this audience with this chief. God provided an open door to minister through Paul's afflictions. Do you know that? Do you see that? If Paul had not encountered the storm in the boat, he would not have been divinely directed towards Malta. And if Paul had not been bitten by the viper, then he wouldn't have been revered by the villagers and news would not have spread to the chief official whose father was sick. And Paul would not have been able to go and pray and lay hands on him and, and heal him. And when God healed the governor's father, that opened the door for the rest of the islanders who were sick to be cured. And verse 9 says, they came and were cured. Church, if you're carnally minded, if you're worldly minded, if you are concerned primarily for yourself and self-preservation and for comfort in that first-class ticket in life, you are going to miss the opportunities that God desires to use you in for the sake of others, for His kingdom, for His glory. Suffering is part of God's plan. And the people that I see God use suffer greatly. In relationships, financially, emotionally, whatever it is. Look at, look at all the people that God used in the New Testament. They suffered. And we spend our lives as Americans trying to avoid suffering at all costs. Do we not? And we lack character because of it. And we lack love because of it. You know, when, when hardships come into your life, it's time to say, Lord, what are you saying and what do you want me to do? Because I'm here. If this is the cross and you have not answered, take it away three times, maybe 50 times for some of us, then he must have something else going on. Amen? You know, as we put our mind on Christ, the mindset that Paul had in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, comes in mind. Think this. 
Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. And Paul's just saying, man, the things that I go through are for God's using it for your benefit. God will direct us as we put our eyes on him and feast upon his promises like Paul getting to Rome. He's going to direct our paths into his plans. And many, we're going to come to know the Lord through you. Amen? They're going to see the hope in your life. They're going to see the anchor that's not manufactured and pretend. They're going to see Christ in you. Because Christ comes out when we get crushed. That's the cross. Gethsemane means the the wine press. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, nothing comes up. And we're hanging on to our lives saying, I want to save it. I want to save it. I want to save it. And he says, lose it and you'll live. Walk across the street and share me. Help someone. Love someone. Lay down your life. Stop saying my schedule. It's not your schedule if you're Christ. It's his. Repent. Turn. I'm talking to myself, right? It's us. Let the Lord use you and stop holding on. And say, Lord, this is your life. You bought me. I'm yours. You know, our neighbors need to see the love of Jesus. They need to see Christ in you. They don't need to see you. That's what got you in trouble in the first place. Right? They need to see the sacrificial Jesus Christ, the one who loves and, and lays down our own things for what's best for them. Lord, do that more in my life. I'm not perfect in that, guys. So pray. Be in the Word. Lay down your time. Put them first and let them flow through you. And yes, you're going to hit the storms. But God will direct you as you put your eyes on Him. And many will come to know Him and will see Him. And he will use those opportunities to springboard you into the next things he has for you. Verse 10. And they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? And after three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. And it was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. So in mythology, these were the two gods of navigation, so to speak, or of the seas. And so Luke is going into great detail about how long they were there, where they, where they put out the sea, where the ship was from, and what identified it. Paul, uh, Luke was a geek. Verse 12. We put, in, we put in at Syracuse, this is not New York, and stayed there three days. And there we set sail and arrived at Regium. And the next day the south wind came, and the following day we reached Betuli. And there, verse 14, then we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. 
The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Pius and the three taverns to meet us. And at the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. So Paul was in Rome. God makes good on his promise. Amen. Jesus said, you're going to Rome. He's in Rome. In verse 16, when, God, when we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier to guard him. That poor soldier. <laughs> Dude, he was chained to him. <laughs> it's just like, what a job. You're, pain, you're, you're chained to some religious guy, and he talks to you every day about Jesus. So who is the prisoner? <laughs> what kind of circumstances God got you in? What are you going through? What's your suffering? You're stuck in a chair, and a nurse has to stick an IV in your arm, and they have to come monitor and talk to you every day? Who's the prisoner? What do you think Paul is doing? And, and you read in the epistles, I can't remember where, I, I meant to get it, but I didn't. But he talks about, you know, people from the royal guard greet you. Paul had reached the emperor's praetorian guard for Christ. Paul never would have been there if he hadn't gone through all the suffering, was chained to guards who came to Jesus, who were hanging out with guards who came to Jesus. Amen? I love that. But those were Paul's living arrangements. In verse 17, three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. This was Paul's custom. When he entered a city, he gathered all the Jews because the gospel was to be preached to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Right? That's what he did. And when they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews in Jerusalem objected, and so I was against... Uh, so I was uh, compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charges against my own people. So he's saying, hey, listen, I'm here. I'm not here to cause any trouble. I know you're living here. That is not my intent. That is not, I'm not here to make your life difficult or to speak evil against our people. That is not it, even though the Jews in Jerusalem did this to me. Verse 20, for this reason I have asked to see you and to talk with you is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. And so Paul, he gets the Jewish leaders together and he clears the air with them, letting them know that he had no intentions of causing the Jews any trouble in Rome, nor did he do anything against the customs of the ancestors. So everything he's doing is biblical, he's saying. But rather the Jews uh, pressed false charges. I had to appeal and that's why I'm in chains. I'm in chains for the hope of Israel. But real quickly, we have a conflict because he says earlier, he says that he's in chains for the for, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So which is it? The hope of, the, the hope of Israel? Or is it the chains? Uh, or is it, is it the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it the hope of Israel? Which is Jesus, the Messiah. Or is it the resurrection? What did Jesus say about himself? I am the resurrection and the life. I'm in chains because of Jesus. I'm in chains because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In other words... I was a zealot, crazy ISIS guy, and the only explanation for this is because Jesus, the risen Messiah, appeared to me and changed me. And I'm here to testify to everybody that he is alive and he is risen, and that's why I'm in this room, Paul's saying. And that's why you're wherever you are, by the way. Amen? The hope of Israel, the Messiah. And so, 
Verse 21, they replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you and none of our people who have come from there reported anything or said anything bad about you. We don't know what's going on here, but we want to hear what your views are. That's an open door, friends, for we know that, that, that people everywhere are talking against the sect, against Christianity, against the way. And so Paul has that open door and the Jewish leaders in Rome, they want to hear what Paul's views are. And so guess what Paul does? He tells them. Look for open doors, friends. And they arranged to meet Paul, verse 23, on a certain day and came in in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining all about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Paul took, a, took time, and he had time. He made time, right? And he told them about Jesus Christ. And he used the Bible to do it. And he used the Old Testament explaining who he was all the way through. That takes some time sometimes to unravel Jesus. That's why we put a priority on the Word of God. That it's not 15 minutes and see you later. Sometimes it takes a while to explain the deep things of God. Amen? Some were convinced. Well, sorry, verse 23. Oh, wait. No, that's right. Some were convinced by what he said, but others uh, would not believe. This is always going to be the case. Some people are going to listen. Some people are going to say, yeah, whatever. Verse 25, they disagreed among themselves and began to leave. After Paul had made this final statement, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through the, the, the Isaiah of the prophet. And so Paul concludes the whole thing. They're arguing back and forth. And this is Paul's final thing as he leaves them. He says, he quotes Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will, you will ever be hearing but never understanding. You will, ever be, uh, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. Verse 27, For this people's heart has become calloused. They, are hardly hear, they hardly hear with their ears, and they, and they have closed their eyes, and they can barely talk. That's what I'm having trouble talking with this. Sorry about that. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would what? Heal them. Therefore, I want you to know, this is Paul again, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. He's sitting with people who aren't listening. He says, the reason why you're hearing is because the Bible said, you're the people who won't listen. The very people, the people of God, the Jews, the ones who were supposed to see the scriptures, the Messiah, they were blind, deaf, and dumb to the move of the Spirit. Church, are you blind, deaf, and dumb this morning? Are you always listening and never doing? Are you always seeing but never perceiving? I ask myself that question all the time. Lord, am I, am I deceived? I mean, this defines the Jews who were supposed to be the people of God. And Paul says, they hear, but they never understand. They see, but they never perceive. And the reason is because their hearts are calloused. Nevertheless, Paul said to the Jews in verse 28, Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. You know, God will only spend so long working on people's hearts. 
Remember in, in the Old Testament, it said that God came to Pharaoh and he told him, hey, have them move out. But then it says that he kind of did it, but then he didn't. It said then, then Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. That happened several times, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. But then it finally says, then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when God hardens your heart, you're done. And that should strike fear into you, because he will. He only spends so much time. He's, he's patient and long-suffering with people. So it starts with us. God, am I hard-hearted? Am I not listening? Am I not obedient? Am I going to continue to run into the wall and continue to do this? Am I just going to shut you out and live my own life? Or am I going to let you come in and soften me and change me and fill me? choices before you but also notes it's it's also the people that you're ministering to some will receive some won't some will be hard-hearted some will not it's okay to move on if you're casting seed and, and nothing is coming up but pray about that Nevertheless, Paul said to the Jews in verse 28, Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. You know what Jesus' name means? Good to know, church. It means Jehovah is salvation. God saves. I think there's a play on words here. He says... Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation, right, has been sent to the Gentiles. That Jesus has been sent to the Gentiles. Jesus is salvation. And they're going to listen. And God's hope, Paul describes in Romans 9.10, was that the Jews would be provoked to jealousy. That by the fact that God would save dirty Gentile sinners like me, that they would go, what in the world? And they would begin to pursue God. <laughs> God wants them. He loves them. But if people don't listen to Jesus, he's just going to go to someone else who will. And for two whole years, Paul stayed. Let's finish here. Paul stayed here in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. You know, and it's in his chains in that place that Paul wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, what we call the prison epistles. What are you going to do in the circumstances and the storms God has brought you through? And, and it's, the, the scriptures go silent here. Some people believe he got acquitted, and some earlier historians say he got acquitted, and he went on to do another missionary journey towards uh, Spain. But what is most likely happened is, is that he was not acquitted, and, and Nero lost his mind and, and took Paul's life, beheaded him. And probably Luke and all these other people as well. But 
Embrace the storms, brothers and sisters. That's the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. The Christianity that's preached that says everything's supposed to be hunky-dory is a lie. It's a lie. And people don't want to hear that, obviously. But we're to bear in our bodies the suffering of Christ every day. We're to live out death to self, life to others. Love deeply. Love is for others. I hope to go into some of these other books and all these things, but I want God to pray for our church. Pray that this is where we operate. That we don't back away from things and we don't live the life of luxury, but that we're willing to embrace whatever God storms God puts our way for His glory. Amen? That others might see Him alive. That's what we want. For people to see Jesus. Not the church name, but Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for this morning. And I lift everybody up in this room who's going through a storm. Maybe there's a deficit in their life. Uh, they don't have something uh, that they need. There's a, there's a lack. and Lord, there's a, there's a sickness in their body like I've had. There's a relationship that's straining upon their soul. There's, a, there's a, a, a missing hole in their life because of someone they lost is gone. Lord, will you reach into those circumstances and let them know that you're taking them to Rome? And will you let them know that right now you want to use them to bring maximum glory while, there's, while they're, they still have uh, air in their bodies? And so, Lord... Draw all of us to your Son, to true faith, which is expressed in good works and good deeds. The works don't save us, but it's because we're saved that we want to glorify you. So rearrange our calendars, our times, our lives for your kingdom. Prioritize our lives to reflect your glory more and more. Be with us in our weakness, Lord, and be strong. Guide us in the storms by your providential hand unto the islands where we get snake-bitten and are put before people in our weakness that you are strong and you heal and many come to know you. And so, Lord, here we are. We're your servants. Send us. In the name of Jesus, amen.